We've all heard that sugar is not healthy. Sugar damages your body and your brain, creates inflammation and ages you faster than you'd like. But how does it do that? On today's episode, we're gonna take a deep dive into how sugar destroys the body and how keto and fasting could transform your health with Dr. Boss. You are gifted with the human brain, with the human mechanics, with the most advanced mammal on earth to repair. Uh, and you have a conscious choice to say, we used to tell people, once you have diabetes, you're in my clinic forever. And now we can say, yeah, type two diabetes is a choice. It is reversible. It is reversible. It is reversible. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you for pressing play today, and you're going to be so thankful you hit play on today's episode. It's a brand new episode with Dr. Boz. Now, Dr. Boz has been on the Keto Camp podcast before, just a few months ago, where we took a deep dive into the brain and how glucose and insulin can destroy the brain. We talked about addiction to food and other bad choices and what that does, how to overcome that. So if you didn't listen to that episode, that was episode 478. Today's episode is going to take a deep dive into glucose, specifically what high levels of glucose and insulin do to create inflammation, rust, if you will, inside your body. We're going to get into glycation. I want you to remember one thing right now. Glycation is sugar sticking to protein. Why does it do that? Because sugar is sticky. When you were a kid, hopefully not now, but when you were a kid and you had cotton candy and you ate it with your hands and your fingers, you were grabbing that cotton candy from the bag. What happened with your fingers if you were to press them together. It was sticky because sugar sticks to protein. And there's a lot of protein in your body. So glycation, you're going to learn all about that, how it kind of rusts your cells and rusts your body and your brain and uh, wrecks your hormones and creates inflammation. She's going to take a deep dive into that. She goes through a whole deck of amazing presentation slides. So I do encourage you to watch the video interview, to watch those slides. They're amazing. But if you're going to listen today, which you are because you're listening right now, we're going to explain it in a way where you understand it even without looking at the slides. Then we're going to get into red blood cells, a wonderful way to look inside your body, a measure of chronic inflammation, chronic disease, and it correlates how, to how well oxygen is getting into your cells and tissues. So we'll talk about testing your A1C, some of the optimal numbers to hit, and what your fasting glucose, your average fasting glucose would reflect with an A1C 
And at what point does it become dangerous, something you got to do? And what can you do if it's already high? We'll get into ketones and how to get ketones to work efficiently inside of your body. She's going to give a great example of Willie, and you'll hear all about that and why Willie is super fit with no insulin resistance. And that's really the way the body was designed to, to work and to flex in and out of ketosis. We'll get into that. We'll get into vitamin G. I love vitamin G, gratitude, and oxytocin, some of her favorite ways to do that. She'll talk about jump rope, left-handed loops, and why it's important to take your right hand and work them in coordination to use your cerebellum. Hmm, interesting little tip. You'll learn about that. And we'll get into the mitochondrial uncoupling process. We'll get a little bit geeky and sciencey. We'll discuss the link between depression and low vitamin D. And then we'll answer some questions from the audience that was tuning in during the recording. This is a longer than usual episode, and I got to tell you, it is worthwhile. You're going to enjoy every second of it, so I'm so excited you're listening right now. You're in for quite the treat. Before I bring on Dr. Boz, I want to take a minute to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from T. Leanne Ryan, titled, My New Favorite Podcast. I came across this podcast after watching a Facebook Live and now it's my new favorite podcast. Thank you for all that you do. It's made a huge change in my health journey. I am so glad we are your new favorite. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you listening or watching that Facebook Live. It was probably one of my Wednesday live streams. And if you didn't know, uh, every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, I go live and I just do a 45-minute Q&A where I answer as many questions as possible. So I go live on my Facebook channel, which is The Benazadi. I go live simultaneously on YouTube, which is Keto Camp on YouTube, and I go live on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Twitch all at the same time, every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time. So if you want to hop on one of those live streams and ask me a question, that's where you'll find me, and that's where you'll, where you'll get your, your answers, your, excuse me, your questions answered. I want to remind you that we have our upcoming seven-day keto challenge coming up, which is free, and Dr. Boz is actually a featured speaker on the upcoming challenge. So you get more of the wonderful Dr. Boz on that challenge. We also have Dr. Jason Fung as a confirmed speaker and Dr. Ken Berry as a confirmed speaker with some other special guests that I will not announce yet. We will be giving away over $20,000. We upped the ante, $20,000 in free prizes for those who attend. Seven days, it's free, life-changing. It's going to be a masterclass on keto, fasting, carnivore, inflammation, hormones, insulin resistance, diabetes. I mean, everything you want to learn about your body and how to overcome some symptoms and be preventative and just thrive in life with your health. This is for you. Whether you're brand new to keto or have been doing it for years, this is for you. So all you need to do is go to ketocampchallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes and register. We start on April 10th. You're going to want to be on that incredible challenge. It's going to change many, many lives. Without further ado, let's get to Dr. Boz. Now we bring on Dr. Boz. Dr. Boz, here's a photo of me and the beautiful Dr. Boz from Keto Orlando Summit last year in Orlando. We got to hang out together. We shared the stage together. It was such an honor to share the stage with somebody who's been a thought leader in the health and wellness space, not just keto. She's much more than keto. She understands cellular health. And uh, we took this photo together after we both spoke on stage. Dr. Boz is an internal medicine doctor, author, mother, wife, teacher, a brilliant storyteller. 
She was born into a farming family in South Dakota, a small little town. Now she lives in Florida like me, inheriting hard work and the expectations that things are teachable. Throughout her medical training and career, she applied her inheritance to teach patients through storytelling and practical application of medical jargon, which you're going to see how brilliant she is at teaching. So without further ado, here's the wonderful, the beautiful, the intelligent Dr. Boss. Hey, Dr. Boss. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Ben. It's so nice to be part of this. We need more of Ben Azadis throughout the universe. So <laughs> we need more Ben and Boss. Ben there and Boss. Right? <laughs> yeah, that should be our, our future podcast. Thank you for being here. I know a lot of our students are very excited about this session. They've been following you on your YouTube channel. They have your books. I forgot to mention, by the way, let me just make a quick note. Dr. Boz has these two books. They're incredible, Any Way You Can and Keto Continuum. We're going to drop a link for both of them right now for you to get her books. I just wanted to mention that before I forget. Thank you for being here, fellow Floridian. Now you live in Florida, just like me. Uh, yeah. Here's where, where I want to start the conversation, Dr. Boz. You know, sugar and ins uh, glucose and insulin, we know that most Americans, it est it's estimated that 88% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy. It's probably higher than that because that study was done before COVID, that mm -hmm. University of North Carolina Chapel Hill study. But what does high level, what do high levels of glucose and insulin do to the body? What, is, what does it do to increase our risk of cardiovascular disease? What does it do to the brain? What kind of hits are we taking when we have these high levels of glucose and insulin? Mm. Well, you, you're feeding me the, the cream. This is my favorite topic. <laughs> So yes, great question. Well played. Yeah, you look at the teaching of how to, to comprehensively explain how much damage is done with a chronically elevated blood sugar. And it, it is a task that I continue to retry. What's the best tagline to really get people's attention? My favorite has been uh, a lecture that I'm going to give a little bit of on Thursday Oh, that's tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow <laughs> at low carb, uh, where we talk about addiction. And in the world of addiction, you know, we, I, I repair broken brains for a living. And so I have these spec scans that I, I probably can show on a slide here if, you, if we have the, the time or capacity, because the power of what uh, the image shows, I think, is to me the best way that summarizes what's really going on, what's the price you're paying when you keep hitting a higher and higher and higher blood sugar. That the time spent with excess blood sugar in circulation is area under the curve for those chemists or uh, scientists that like to use that imagery, that it is truly that time where the blood sugar starts to rise, how high it stays, and then how long it takes to get the blood sugar back down. And then what is back down in your body? And we know that when that blood sugar gets north of 100 and specifically north of that 130, um, the blood sugar that's found inside your circulatory system is a minor fraction of your excess. Mm. It's just the part that's moving from one part of the body to the next. It is not counting the years of storage you've got in your liver, the years of storage you've got in your, in your muscle cells. And that when you stop eating glucose, it's those years of storage that will keep your, you know, what's your number down to or your baseline, uh, it will keep your baseline very steady, the body really likes that steady. And so that baseline uh, is the power of glycation. Glycation is the word that means 
glucose is is sticky. It's sugar, okay? It's sticky. And it sticks to things it shouldn't stick to, like parts of your brain, parts of your nerves, your red blood cells, mm-hmm. uh, but tendons and eyeballs and blood vessels. And that stickiness will glycate proteins. It, it is truly the first place it does glycate are the proteins throughout the body. And you give me a protein, we can talk about how it glycates. So if we talk about a dangerous protein in the brain, those are amyloid proteins. Mm -hmm. Those are those little nasty things that we know are found in brains that have advanced Alzheimer's. But we also know it starts a lot before the Alzheimer's. It starts a lot before the memory problem. And that if you've got some methodical ways of lowering that down to number, that baseline number, that the body's built-in mechanisms for undoing that are remarkable. You are gifted with the human brain, with the human mechanics, with the most advanced mammal on earth to repair. Uh, And you have a conscious choice to say, we used to tell people, once you have diabetes, you're in my clinic forever. And now we can say, yeah, type two diabetes is a choice. It is reversible. It is reversible. It is reversible. And that choice is not for sissies, especially if you've had it for a while. It, it takes a lot of reframing your mind of what is normal because as those excess blood sugars accumulate in the body and they fill up all the storage in your liver and they fill up all the storage in your muscles, now it's just trying to squish it into the bloodstream as much as it can hold. And of course, it just means it's going to stick to more things throughout the body. Uh, it's why my 2022 mission was to teach people how important it was to check their average blood sugar and to leave me out of the equation, just prick your fingers, send in the test and do it on your own. And we spent a hearty chunk of our resources on whenever we went to a conference to say, we'll pay for it. Just let us prick your finger and watch what your numbers are because of how much that is an eye opener for what is your average blood sugar in your body. And knowing that we had a, a contest in our, our team that said, no, let me, uh, let me show you what your blood sugars are. And then we tested everybody as we trained them for a couple of the shows and mine was higher than it should have been. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm human too, uh, but so were a couple other people on the team. And so I said, all right, nothing better than positive peer pressure to change people. So how about live on our show, we show you what it looks like in four weeks from now and then four weeks after that. And when you're committed to saying, oh, it's hard, it's hard to lower it. But when you do it in a tribe of people, you're mirror neuroning from other people, you're, you're copying behavior of other people that, that do have health, that do really focus on um, how do you zip your lips after six o'clock? How do you really have a fasted state for 36 hours? Uh, and what does that do to your system? How does that lower that down to number? And it's in those steps that, I have a prayer for the patients that I've had, that I've buried, that are in a nursing home right now, not knowing what day it is or who their loved ones are. Those amyloid proteins are there and they're filled of years of stickiness, layers of this excess sugar. And I didn't do a great job then of saying, how do I get it lower? I used every medication under the book, including lots of insulin. I am an internist. I've written more prescriptions than I care to admit. But with that, you get the pain of saying, all right, in their burden of teaching me the price of what it looks like to have excess sugars floating around your system and the glycation of your brain, let me be an example of how to do it differently. Mm. 
I respect that so much because you went down the traditional conventional route and um, it didn't really get to the cause, right? It was more of chasing the symptoms. And we understand that sometimes, a lot of the time, symptoms could be far removed from the cause. And what if we could stop the progression now? Because to your point, many, many years for these diagnoses to be made. Cancer, many, many years. Autoimmune, type 2 diabetes, it doesn't happen overnight. It'll take 10, 20, even sometimes longer. But meanwhile, the body's doing everything it can to survive. So it's storing the sugar, different areas, and it's glycating to your point, and it's destroying the brain chemistry. It's destroying our arteries. And the test you were referring to is an A1C for those who are wondering. We spoke about the importance of getting an A1C done yesterday, along with other markers, like I spoke about inflammatory markers. So I kind of lined you up perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that um, experiment started with your family, right? Like you, your family kind of runs this competition who has the lowest A1C. And then yeah. you brought it to your, your, your staff and your, your team. I did your test, which is a great, easy way to get a kit at home, finger prick, send it in and you get the results. So I did mine recently. It was 5.2. I want to work on that even more too, to get it like 5.1 or even better. I know you always say the lower, the better. But maybe- yeah. One of, yeah, go ahead and ask the question. No, I was going to say, could you go a little bit deeper into A1C, how, how like this works and what exactly it's showing? And yeah, just explain the A1C a little bit more if you can. Sure. So I, I think a slide does a good job too, if you if you want to share slides. Yeah. Okay. So aren't those gorgeous? That's incredible. Great job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you look at these, these are red blood cells. And we are, uh, when you look at this test, hemoglobin A1C, we are actually taking your red blood cells and we're looking inside. In the depths of your red blood cells, they have a very unique setting in our body. They don't, they don't own a nucleus and they own these goofy little things uh, called uh, strings of hemoglobin. The heme part is the purpley strings and the globin part is the yellow things. And those little balls we just dropped in there are iron. As you watch these little units, we want, we want that hemoglobin to be doing its number one most important job, which is to deliver oxygen throughout your body. Mm. As the oxygen binds to those four little yellow heme units, uh, they go on what I think of as the ride of their life. If you're thinking of uh, Mrs. Fizzle from the school bus uh, series, <laughs> then I win. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so here's a red blood cell with a whole bunch of uh, hemoglobins, and they are finding their positions. They do this uh, every uh, microsecond of your uh, of your day, and the binding of how many uh, oxygen units that you you deliver to your brain, to your heart, to your big toe is dependent on how well you fill those seats. So here is a place we all know a little bit more about over the last couple of years, which is your alveoli. This is the place where COVID likes to live. And it's also the place where you exchange oxygen for carbon dioxide. Uh, those little arteries that uh, have the one of the most unique linings, uh, that blue part is there's only one place in the body. You find that, that viscous that trades out carbon dioxide and um, allows the oxygen to go into circulation. If you looked at what oxygen was going to do normally, it was going to uh, sit there and only feed the little cells that it's close to. And that's the beauty of what our red blood cells do is that we don't need to just feed the cells next to our alveoli. We need to feed the cells throughout our body. So as you 
measure depths of uh, chronic inflammation or chronic disease, we correlate that directly to, well, how well did we get oxygen to their tissues? And your doctor has been checking this over and over and over again, uh, every three months, as often as your insurance would let you, as soon as they see that your hemoglobin, that your blood sugars are elevated. Mm -hmm. And this chart uh, shows you all the diseases that are directly linked to your blood sugars. Wow. That's heart disease. That's cancer. I have a new updated one this year for uh, the speech I'm going to do in a couple of days, which said COVID was number three. Um, mm. Suicide wow. jumped off the list of top 10 and COVID was number three. But the only the two in silver were the ones that we couldn't directly link to your your blood sugar. But the rest of them are clearly uh, a, and mathematically linked to your blood sugar. And so the part uh, that most people don't appreciate is that the red blood cell has this unique process where it allows into the cell this unique molecule without a receptor. This is a picture of a muscle cell, and that receptor right there is a carrying device to get them across a cell membrane and into the inside of a, a cell. But your red blood cells do not need that carrying device or receptor to get glucose in. So this is where the higher your blood sugars, the more it's going in and out of those red blood cells. Doesn't matter if if you're insulin resistant or not. It's just it's a numerical mathematical equation. And if you have a red blood cell that comes near that magnet, that globin, it will push oxygen out of the way and it sticks in that spot for a lifetime. So these red blood cells last 100 days, about 100 days, about three months. And if on the first day out of the bone marrow, this baby blood vessel has a hemoglobin that gets squished or splatted by the gummy process of a glucose, it's there forever. Now, this guy can only carry three oxygen and not four. That's what glycation is. This demonstration is the same process that happened in your brain, the same process that happens to the, you know, when people say, I have arthritis, I'm like, what you really have are glycated tendons. Mm. And you can get those glycated tendons unglycated before they calcify, which takes a long time. <laughs> then we have hope. <laughs> but it is also why inflammatory problems are so linked to the process of how high is their blood sugar? What is their average blood sugar? So when we look at uh, blood sugars, if we put one in the way, it again doesn't leave. And I think the next one shows me what you got to look at. Um, yeah, just showing how the wow, how the oxygens are less. You don't get to deliver as much. And what happens is those cells, wherever they are, they atrophy and die. And the death of cells, it means that your barriers to linings are not as protective and that your, your kidney cells don't work as well, your heart cells don't work as well. And when we start talking, oh, what's your hemoglobin A1C? What's your hemoglobin A1C? Uh, and people's eyes kind of glaze over. Even doctors, after a while, you're like, yeah, their A1Cs, thank God it's down to seven. But I think it is the ultimate question to say how glycated is your hemoglobin? Because it transfers to all of those other places. And when we push out a number and say, guess what? Your glycation is not an accident. It is a direct proportion for what is your blood sugar. Um, so here's the, here's the part that I was trying to get to, but when you have animation, you cannot skip forward. <laughs> no, the animation, this is fantastic, by the way. I love this. So 4%, if we take 4% of those seats and we put 
we put a splat of gum or glucose on them. That is 100 of those seats are in front of you. Four of them are, are glycated. That's called a 4% hemoglobin A1C. That's why the percentage comes in as we're looking at out of 100, how many are glycated. And that is an average blood sugar of 68. When we look at that, we know that averages are the real thing. That So people prick their finger and they say, Doc, my sugar's never lower than 100. And I'm like, if that's the case, we can tell you right now that you've got plenty of glycation going on. Yeah. Welcome to the human race that it's fixable. And when I look at the time that people's blood sugar raises after they eat, they'll wake up in the morning and I say, look at your morning fasting blood sugars. This is where I can decide, I can help you see how much insulin is it taking or how well is your insulin working in your body? When they eat, it should come back down within a couple of hours and it should never really rise that high. I did a mission trip this summer in Honduras and uh, there was a little boy named Willie who was fascinated that I was checking my blood sugars. And so <laughs> I said, I'm, I can turn these tables and check yours. And he thought that was the coolest thing. Anyway, so, <laughs> so I got several points of data for him and his hemoglobin A1C was like on the edge of of malnourishment because he's super scrawny. The only food he gets is what he, when he's at school. There is no snacking at night. He eats at four o'clock or four thirty in the afternoon, knowing he's going home to no place with refrigeration and no place with food. So his average A1C was four point five, and he burns carbs during the day because that's what they feed him. But he's as skinny as a rail. He turns on those ketones at night and burns fat as soon as he goes to sleep. And it's in that metabolic flux of his cells are using glucose when he eats, but because he is not insulin resistant, because there's not a lot of glycation going on, his body will turn on those ketones at night. And by golly, he has better blood sugars than both you and I put together. And here's what it looks like to have five of them. And take a guess. So you, you said yours was 5.2? Yes. Okay. So, so what do you think your average blood sugar was? Uh, I would say 90, 88, 90. Yeah, so 5.0 oh, is 97. So it'd probably be just north of 100. And it goes through all the numbers and just kind of, it's fun to watch this because when we add a sugar and then the, so that was so, seven and here's eight. 183. Yeah, so wow. there was an 11 you said? Somebody was at 11, yep. I think it was Danelle. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see there's just nine of those glucose filled now, but that's two, a blood sugar of, a two, of 211. And you can see that why when they get to an A1C of 11, you've got an average blood sugar that's plus or minus 269. And that's mm -hmm. average. That means there's times it's much higher than that. And What's your body, highest, highest I've seen? Yeah, highest A1C you've seen. Mm, 19. 19. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's and, dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, here's here's just the scale. So if we, we don't count in whole numbers. We are very, uh, you know, there's, there's millions of spots. So this just kind of scrolls through. And if you find your number, you can see your average blood sugar. And it's not without a major punchline to say, well, how glycated is your brain? How glycated is your big toe? <laughs> how glycated is your heart? And the process of reducing this, it's hard because you got a set point inside your system that's saying, but you used to be 190 pounds and now you're trying to be 175. And there's so many forces inside the body trying to push it back up uh, to what it was set at, that the years people live at that higher body mass and at a higher blood sugar, 
um, have led to um, their system being a set point that is, like I said, much higher. So thanks for letting me do my favorite thing, which is use slides to teach. Oh, so good. Um, brilliant. You're our brilliant teacher. Those slides are epic. Uh, everybody watch the replay and look at that again. So, all right, a lot, of, a lot to unpack there. You, you, sh you clearly demonstrated why those diseases happen. Lack of oxygen, glycation. It, it starts with your sugars increasing, increasing, and you could identify where you're at and get a baseline by getting an A1C done. Yeah, you could get an A1C done through insurance. You could try that route, but you also could get it from Dr. Ba. She has a kit. What, where's the best place to get your kit, by the way? Yeah, bazmd.com in the store. You can buy an A1C. We think we finally just got approved on Amazon too. So, so Amazon is really funky about medical tests online. So we had to do literally a year of paperwork to get there. So pray to God it stays. Because <laughs> yeah. if you send to Amazon, it's really... But it, it is truly this, this access for you, because if you do order it from your doctor, that's great. Do that. I've done them on the same day, uh, three or four times now. And they are, I mean, all the studies say they match, but I've been uh, around the schoolyard enough times to say, I should check it. <laughs> I'm just going to yes. check it. Perfect match every time. I've been really thankful for that. But also that um, your insurance will only cover it if you have a diagnosis of diabetes. They will only cover it uh, every three months, so four times a year. And it's because it's the life of the, the blood cell. Oh, you can only look at it every lifespan. But that's not true. It's an average that should be coming down. So when we do our competition on the show, we said, no, I don't want to wait a year to show you that I'm better. And if you've ever looked at, uh, you know, the behavior model for feedback, you wait three months to tell somebody how they're doing. Guess what? They are off the way. <laughs> they do not care. But if you're on a contest and you say, okay, I have four weeks to move the needle. I have four weeks to change the average. That means you got to get your game on, man. You got to have some intensity in how you perform and, and what your numbers are going to be. And so it turned out great because I, I think at KetoCon, which was in June, I, I was an embarrassing either 5'5 five, five or 5'4. Five, I actually can't remember now. And then I dropped to five, three. And then right at Thanksgiving, I was five, one. So my goal is to stay in the fours, which is where I'd been for years, but turns out the age of 50 with three teenagers and a business, holy smokes. I, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I love the idea of uh, doing it with a group of people. It's inspiring me, you know, outside of this challenge with our Keto Camp Academy students to do a challenge where we do this and we kind of track each other's A1C so you could get your A1C kit, uh, bazmd.com. I have a, a couple of questions. You mentioned, you showed the graph of, of Willie in Honduras. Yeah. And uh, it showed he's very metabolically flexible. So they, they gave him sugar, you said, or carbs during the day. So he was burning glucose primarily. And then he essentially didn't eat. I guess he was fasting because he didn't have food or maybe he had some things. But then he went into ketosis, fat burning. Would that be the goal? for most people to have that metabolic flexibility where you could actually use both pathways efficiently? Right. You know, I track these with patients and with people that I closely mentor. And it's shocking to them when they watch me on my live show and I'll prick my finger. And at the beginning of the show, I don't have any, I have lower ketones. And at the end of the show, I'll have more ketones. Or the flexibility that when I'm on a three-day fast, what happens and how my ketones flex. And so they show up into the life of checking glucose and ketones with 20 years of 15 extra, 20 extra, 50 extra pounds. And they wonder, well, why can't I get my ketones to rise? Why can't I get my ketones to rise? Or what's more likely is they drop their carbohydrates and they get on a ketogenic diet and they're peeing ketones. But four weeks later, 
they check their finger and they can't find ketones. They can't pee ketones. They can't find ketones in their circulation. They're like, I'm doing everything like I was four weeks ago. Why is this not working? And it's a fantastic comparison. It's why I use Willie is he has no insulin resistance. This is what it looks like to have no insulin resistance, to never have been overweight. And his body is healthy. That's what healthy looks like, is that as soon as the glucose runs out, maybe he stored a little bit extra, but not much. He then makes ketones and he uses ketones to survive the night. Do I think my adult patients are going to be as metabolically flexible as Willie? No, but do I think that you should be able to flex and make ketones while you fast overnight? Yes. That's a goal. And when I'm looking at how healthy are my patients, I'm looking at that number first thing in the morning when there's the least amount of noise in their life to screw up my test, meaning they've been sleeping. Hopefully they peed and I I want them T-O-T, test on the toilet. Like don't screw this up. (laughs) Don't go walk the dog. Don't go start the coffee pot. Just check it before you mess it up. Because every part of stress or excitement or yawn i'm not really but you know, like life changes it so give me the least noisy data and first thing in the morning with hours of no eating i want to know what's your glucose and what's your ketone and that tells me how metabolically flexible you are and when people say at first it was great and i'm like yes wait for it <laughs> you just stressed your system yeah. and when when people say well i'm in a you know keto work for me for a while and then it didn't i'm like now you're, you're designed to use ketones. And when you are living in today's world, it is a trap to get into a place where you're only burning glucose for most hours of the day. And even when you stress your system to go on a lower carbohydrate diet, uh, you're going to fall backwards if you don't do some of these other things. And we can go into that, but it is a place where I check metabolic flexibility. It, you should migrate from always using glucose to at least during the night when you don't eat anything to wake up in the morning and have some ketones in circulation. And we've done a lot of teaching on my channel about your normal dawn phenomenon where your glucose rises in the morning because your cortisol Mm -hmm. comes from your pineal gland to your liver and says, Hey, wake up. I'm going to give you a fresh blast of sugar. It does that every morning. And if it's so much sugar that there are no ketones around, you are still in the problem lane. You are not mm-hmm. metabolically healthy yet. <laughs> so yeah. it's a it's a sign. And do I have perfect ketones in the morning? No, I've been working at this for many years and I still have the consequences of, yeah, guess what? If I eat too late, if I have too many carbs in a day, it rears its ugly head and it's back. Yeah, it's not about perfection. It's about progression, right? And that's what you're talking about here. And you mentioned it took years, many, many years for an individual to develop these high levels of glucose and the metabolic challenges. So it's going to take time to reverse that. The great news is that it can all be reversed. Like the human body is so incredible and so adaptable as long as you continue doing your part. But it's not just the diet. It's not just keto. That's one very important tool. But to your point, Dr. Boz, it's the stress. You know, I always talk about gratitude, vitamin G. It's like having a daily practice of getting your daily dose of vitamin G, mastering your stress, uh, not scrolling on your phone all day long. It's a combination of all these different tools. What are your favorite ways that you teach your patients to get into this uh, vitamin G presence and, and oxytocin boost? So it's funny because right before our show, I've been having, I had some stress today. So I was doing 
I was doing this. Oh yeah, you taught me about that. <laughs> okay, where it is the fastest hack to get your brain to slow down. And mm. I think any of the, uh, any people using courage in today's world, you're gonna have days where it doesn't go like you think it should. It hits you with a left hook. But there are some awesome hacks in, in life. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a woman of faith. I have my daily devotion and my prayers to say, okay, uh, fill me up with some grace today and let me uh, be that to the world. But I still fail. And some of the best physical hacks that I've used with lots of addiction patients, lots of patients with brain injury are left-handed loops. And that's what that is. So it's messy for a reason. It's part of the process is to let go of and let your left hand, your non-dominant hand, write loops across the table or across the uh, tablet and do that for at least three minutes. And to watch a, the MRI before they do that versus after they do that, uh, the amount of noise, which is slang for a bunch of other things, but that's probably the best way to talk about yep. it, is, is less in the, in the brain. Wow. And the other major thing that I do is I have people do one minute of jump rope. Mm. What, what does that do? So Besides that, activate the lymphatic system. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, one minute is not a lot of time commitment. I work with elders. So I tell them, yep, the weight on your knee as you go down the stairs is about 10 times the weight that you have when you jump an inch off the ground with two feet. So don't give me, you have knee pain, you have back pain. This is part of your body having a little stress to improve, but it's mainly for your brain. When you take your right hand and your left hand and they have to work in coordination and then there has to be a rhythm, which is using your cerebellum, that little part of your brain way at the back. Uh, but if you're in gross anatomy and you take the brain out and you say, let's weigh the cerebellum against the rest of the brain, all of the, uh, the white matter, the gray metal, the spinal cord, the, the, so if you weigh them, this is twice as heavy as the rest of the brain because that cerebellum has that many dense neural connections wow. uh, and is so core to why we are such an advanced mammal. So that rhythm, that rhythmic nature is not only using crosstalk, right hand, left hand, but also using rhythm. You get similar results if you play the piano. <laughs> but this one raises your heart rate too, and I don't have to teach you piano lessons. Uh, <laughs> Do you play piano, by the way? Uh, well, my children did, so I figured if I've taught three boys how to play the piano for the better part of 18 years, I play enough. <laughs> yes. I played as a kid, but I, I bet my parents that if I got a one plus on this damn recital piece that I, <laughs> I, I could quit piano in the seventh grade and I got a one plus. <laughs> so you quit it. That is interesting about, you know, using both hands, the coordination, what it does for the brain. It makes me think, because I don't know if you know this, Dr. Boz, one of the, when we talk about like different careers out there, we know there's doctors, there's teachers, different careers, the longest lifespan with different careers is actually conductors, orchestra conductors. So I wonder if there's something going on there with the hands moving and the brain, because it's oh. there's some sort of link there. Isn't that interesting? That'd be interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. It's a fun fact. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised 
to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but Wild Pasture meats are better for you nutritionally, and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best-tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy-tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. So we discussed the importance of getting an A1C done, checking your glucose and ketones, what the dawn effect does, why you want to check it first thing in the morning, glucose and ketones before you look at your phone, before you get enter this uh, rat race that we're in. And then you have a baseline and then you could work from there. It's important to get your own unique individual baseline and trust the process. It's not going to happen overnight, but over time, your body will adapt. You just got to remove the interference and the body will go on to heal itself. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit more about keto, ketones, as it relates to the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. On session one, I discussed how ketones communicate with the mitochondria. You educate on this very brilliantly, and it helps the mitochondria produce more energy at the same time, lowering free radicals via this mitochondrial uncoupling process. And you love to talk about, and you're really good at it, talking about mitochondria uncoupling. So I'd love for you to deep dive into what exactly is happening there, how that raises the basal metabolic rate so we burn more calories. What is this mitochondrial uncoupling process? Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics. So stop me if I go too far. (laughs) (laughs) We will never stop you. Go. So when you're looking at the beauty of what's happening in a mitochondria, it is this engine that 
we need activated. But if you study folks that come in my front door of an internal medicine clinic, you can almost look at their mitochondria by looking at what your brain says their youth is. I don't know if you've seen this study out of Stanford where they were trying to work on an AI tool for age prediction from your face. And so they were trying to train the wow. computer to look at is what's the age of this person. And uh, they were comparing it to the the reflex, the gut reflex that people would have saying healthy, not healthy, young, old, youthful, not youthful. I mean, just they had just sorted in those ways. And how when you look at someone and you can see youth, you can see health. Uh, it's this weird thing where I can say this out loud. I don't know if I can use the words to describe it, but I totally know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it turns out when they were able to predict the youth, uh, it also correlated to the lifespan of their mitochondria. How long could the mitochondria live? How long did they go before they went dormant? And how well were they doing at the efficiency that the mitochondria are in charge of? I mean, one of many things is the mitochondria will take your hormones. Let's just take vitamin D. It, it takes vitamin D and it turns it from the, the, the vitamin D that can't get into your nucleus to the, to the kind that can. And if that vitamin D is sluggish, if it's wilted, I, I like to, I have beautiful pictures of. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> just functional mitochondria and the healthy mitochondria. And a healthy mitochondria is, is very inflated. It's very you know, elongated. It's not circular. It's more like an oval. Uh, it has extra folds in it. And it, when it spins, uh, it's mechanisms through those that chain of reactions, it puts out a very robust amount of energy as long as it's non-inflamed. And the inflammation inside a mitochondria is it has so many mechanisms to undo it. it. Your body is not designed to fail. It's designed to fix what you do wrong, that to have a, a, an escape route to improve. And so by the time a mitochondria causes people to age, that look in the thing saying, mm, how can that person be 40? They look 60. Mm-hmm. That aging too fast is, uh-oh, that all of the mechanisms that were supposed to be reset the mitochondria, get it back going again, have failed. And inside the mitochondria, if you look at them under like an electron microscope, so you can see the folds, you can see what they're doing. The folds aren't as many. Uh, they the cell, the you know, internal cell lining, so it's a subcellular lining around the mitochondria. It's kind of got a deflated look, not a nice taunt full look. And uh, it's through all of these points that you can rack up on: is it a healthy mitochondria or not healthy mitochondria? That the human brain in this AI, which always did better than the computer, was able to say healthy, not healthy, healthy, not healthy, healthy, wow. not healthy. And so I always think of it as the best compliment when patients come in and say, doc, it's been three weeks and the scale hasn't changed. And I said, well, does anything good happen? I'm like, oh yeah, you can't believe how everybody tells me I look younger. <laughs> and I use that as a way to say, so there's a whole bunch of geeky science going on in that mitochondria, that that mitochondria has a programmed a subcellular death as well, that apoptosis of mitochondria. Like it's not working, just throw it away. It's worthless. Mm-hmm. Uh, before it does that, it becomes dormant. So it's useless. It's taking enough energy to stay alive, but that's not much. 
And when we look at the health of people, uh, we can uh, rate that health by how many mitochondria were activated inside their muscle cell, inside their brain cells, astrocytes, inside their cardiac cells. And when they are filled with insulin, they have all those years of elevated blood sugars. And I know people love to get off in the weeds about hormones of estrogen and testosterone and cortisol. And I'm like, we'll start with hormone number one, which is insulin. It's 90% of your problem. And you are losing focus of how to improve until you reduce the insulin. Because that insulin signals, just shut shut it down. He's not useful. We'll, We'll live without him for now. And then they start to to have cracks in them. So one of my slides is lovely. <laughs> as as it, it's a broken mitochondria, and I talk about how as glucose are spinning through that mitochondria, if it's broken, the little cracks that it has, uh, that's where these electrons leak out. Mm-hmm. So those are free radicals. That's your reactive oxygen species. Those are those nasty, gnarly things that take our DNA and they crinkle it, and they cause a uh, transcription errors so that our proteins are no longer the proteins we want and the proteins that oh smack they activated a cancer oh dang they activated an autoimmune disorder oh they made more amyloid they, they worsened my dementia those were not the proteins you were trying to protect from they were the ones you were trying to undo and they came from that mitochondria that's leaking out the excess RLS, yeah. right so you say well how do i fix that doc how do i fix that number one thing you have to do to inside the mitochondria is to reduce the inflammation. You have to have less, I call it heat, but that's not probably the best word in this case. Uh, You have to have less wasted energy. You have to have efficient energy. So the fastest way to do that is switch fuels, go to ketones, Mm -hmm. use ketones, use ketones all the time, as much as you can possibly use them and find a way to hack to get the ketones to be what you use all the time. When I'm working with a cancer patient, <clears throat> they are testing ketones all the time. I want to know six times a day, what are your ketones levels? What's your glucose levels? We want those numbers. Where are you failing? How many hours after eating did you fail? We don't have time to say, I need you to adjust your life and find your Zen moment to give up carbs. I need you to give up carbs and we're going to have to deal with uh, biohacking, you know, biologically hacking your behavior uh, when we get past this first round of chemo. And in that spirit, It is remarkable how fast when pushed to a life or death situation, people can see the production of healthy ketones being used by a body at a remarkably fast rate. Now, they're under doctor supervision because a lot of crap can go wrong, especially if you're on a bunch of medications. Other people, I'm like, you don't need a doctor to be on a ketogenic diet. There are some important steps that you should know about before you start. But for the most part, they are all associated with people who are on medication or should be on medication, but have avoided the doctor and aren't on them. And that's fine, but you're still going to have some of the consequences of what happens when I shift that fuel from a highly glucose dependent uh, mitochondria to a ketone dependent mitochondria. And it's in that process where I can now start to predict how well that ketone is going to be replaced. Uh, Excuse me, that mitochondria is going to be replaced. So we talk about autophagy, uh, the replacement of cells when they are either not living up to their part of the deal or their protein is not useful anymore and they'll uh, recycle and say, let's use the parts of this, uh, this little thing. But what's more powerful is how that stimulation to shut down a mitochondria and start another one uh, is the beginning steps for repairing their metabolism, repairing that, oh, you look healthy. 
And there are several studies to look at when inside a muscle cell, how many mitochondria on average are you using? And by nature, your male cells are going to have more mitochondria than my female cells. And when we both get bathed by insulin, you're going to drop mitochondria faster than me, but we're both going to get to a low part that is just barely enough to keep that cell alive. And the price you pay for having that is a bunch of free radicals, a bunch of those reactive oxygen species that tear up the inside, ping pong off and destroy cells in the wrong way. And that is good for cancer, good for autoimmune problems, good for aging, not good for a strong metabolism. Yeah, what a what a masterful breakdown. You know, I love that you went deep there because we were discussing the mitochondria on Monday, as I mentioned. And um, one of my questions, I did a quiz question for the group here. I, I asked them, which cells do you think have the highest concentration of mitochondria? And I kind of gave them a clue. I said, look, number, the number one priority for the innate intelligence is survival. So it's going to be the cells that are most needed for survival. And it's it's the brain cells, right? Some regions have, you know, millions of mitochondria. Yes. And then you have like the eyeballs, the heart, the ovaries. What do they all have in common? As you know, Dr. Boss, they're all really important for survival. Yeah. And then we have other cells that might have a few hundred mitochondria that are just not as important for survival. And uh, a, a couple of things that I've learned uh, about mitochondria is that hundred percent, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but hundred percent of mitochondria that we get is inherited from mom. Uh, and, and then number two, about 10 to 20% of your total body weight is composed of mitochondria. It's like your body's loaded with them. So when we talk about the mitochondria, it's very important to understand pretty much every disease out there is linked to this mitochondrial dysfunction process. I didn't know that fact about vitamin D being converted to a usable form by the DNA. That's super interesting. And I talked about the number one thing that shuts down vitamin D from even being produced is insulin, right? It doesn't matter how many vitamin D supplements you take. Yeah. If insulin is high, it's like you're not going to get the process. So it seems like the common theme here is that all roads are leading to insulin. And if we can lower insulin, the body's going to function better, including the mitochondria. Yeah, it's actually the biggest punchline that I see a lot of keto coaches or advisors is once you get in the space and you kind of get your head around ketones and glucose and metabolism, you know, they want to say, well, what's new? What can I teach this new? What can I teach this new? And they are off in the weeds about some like progesterone estrogen ratio. And I'm like, you got to fix insulin before any of that crap matters. You can learn about it, but your patients shouldn't hear word one about that until you have a vitamin D north of hundred routinely for three months. Oh, wow. Oh, wait. A vitamin D north of hundred routinely for three months. That's your goal. So we have a competition. The competition that first started in our house was the vitamin D one. So that, it had been out for a couple of years. Same company does the same process where it looks at vitamin D. And I repair brains for a living. If you want to see the biggest sabotage for a brain repair, it's a vitamin D that's south of 50. We know that if it's between 40 and 50, there are symptoms of depression, anxiety. We know if it's between 30 and 40, that you have a I can't remember off the top of my head now, the, the statistical chance of having a diagnosis for anxiety, depression, or one of the mood disorders oh. that is not extreme. You get south of 20 and you lose IQ points. That's because it is so vital. And that, I mean, that word gets used so much, people forget it's required for life. It's so vital that when you watch what your cells do, when the vitamin D is inside the cell, 
and the mitochondria turns it on, now it can slip into that nucleus. And then in that nucleus, out comes a bunch of proteins. And what proteins come out? Well, it depends on what cell you're talking about. For the brain cell, it is how they make neurotransmitters, how they repair the brain, how they sleep at night, how do they deal with inflammation. All of those are related to different proteins in your brain. A couple of specific ones called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, a really interesting molecule that, uh, Google it. <laughs> but again, you can't make that if your vitamin D is low. And I mean, if it's less than 50. You can make it at a slowish pace, less than 50. So in my practice, when they have a, they're coming to see me for brain injury, they're coming to see me because their brain doesn't work. And step one, got to get the vitamin D above 50. I don't care how we do it. And I have seen, you know, again, people doing their best, trying to find the right answer for people saying, well, oh, the lab test says that it's toxic if it's above a hundred. And I'm like, let's There's take no you. Thing. Right. Let me let me let me show you what what we really know. So let's go to the extreme. The people who I think are some of the bravest physicians on the world, which is the frontline people. Have I told you the story before? I don't think so. No. Okay. So that are on the front lines of COVID response when people were in the ICU. And so once they get on the ventilation ventilator, the death rates were you know north of eighty percent. They're dying. They're dying so quickly they can't. They don't have enough ventilators, right? And so we say, well, what are some of the predictors that would improve their immune system to work right now. And that is, we'll get vitamin D inside that white blood cell. Mm. So instead of taking the vitamin D, which is a fat soluble drug, so you're going to take it, it's going to get to your gut, then your acid's going to break it down, then you get to GI and you got to absorb it and got to go through your limb system. Okay. It's got a long path before it's going to get to your white blood cells. Okay. Let's skip that. Let's put it in their vein. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a fat soluble thing going in their vein. Let me tell you, that was going to take a whole bunch of FDA approvals. Oh, but it's COVID. So we're doing it on the people that are about to die. And we're giving them like an intravenous, I want to say it was 150,000 units of vitamin D. I mean, it's wow. so freaking high. <laughs> like it's beyond. And, and it's high and it's IV. So it's going right into your, like, your, it's highly absorbable. It's being used. Right. Wow. Uh, so they put that in and it changed survival rates. It didn't change ventilations. It didn't change infection rate. I mean, it did change those things. We, they didn't look at the little bitty things that people sometimes measure in a study to make it look sexy in a headline. They said, did they live? It changed survival rates. Amazing. So, and at the same time, they're saying, well, we have all these naysayers. You're going to get them toxic. You're going to get them toxic. I'm like, no toxicities were documented. Zero toxicities yeah. were documented. Has there ever been a vitamin D toxicity ever documented? I've never come across yeah. it. There yeah. has been? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get psychotic. <laughs> oh, really? What, so at what levels typically is that? Like over well, they, 200 or? Uh, I don't I don't know what their blood levels were. I just know the symptoms were high. I mean, so again, bell-shaped curves, they want people to have zero toxicity. So I can tell you that they must have had a few of them documented in the hundreds because that's where the toxicity is said to be. Oh, but if you ask me what I want my vitamin D to stay at and I was really good about taking my vitamin D when I lived in South Dakota. And then I got to Florida. I thought the sun was going to help me, but damn, it means you actually have to leave the office and be in the sun. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, So I've had a really crappy time getting my vitamin D. But my goal, my goal is always to be at least 50, up to 150. Like that's where I want to stay. And again, this is not medical advice. Yeah, not medical advice. Here's the the downside of this. You know, you go to a regular doctor or somebody goes to the regular doctor, they get vitamin D. They see on that reference range, it might show 30 to 100. So maybe they're 32 
And the doctor will say nothing about it. Like you're in the range, uh, you're good to go. But that is a deficiency. You mentioned you're getting these neurological symptoms, anxiety, depression, immune system uh, is dropping. So I think mine, I tested uh, two weeks ago, it was 63. Okay. Uh, I do get out in the sun. I don't take vitamin D supplementation. I haven't taken it in a while, but I do get out in the sun every day. <laughs> so that's the goal for you, Dr. Boz. Let's uh, go to the beach together in Sarasota, mm. get some sun, <laughs> get our vitamin D going because you're already dropping insulin, me too. So it's easy for us to raise vitamin D if insulin is low. This has been so good. So let's get into VIP Q&A. Deb, I see you on here. Deb's in Australia. She's been waking up super early to be on these live streams and she's on again here. So Deb, are you ready to come on here and ask Dr. Boz your question? Okay, here's Deb Crompton in Australia. Hello, Dr. Boz. Hello, Deb, nice to meet you. Yeah, same to you. I, I'm, I was just watching you and you're just beautiful to watch. Absolutely. Your face, your glow. I've seen some comments um, through the thread that, yeah, you're just gorgeous. Yeah, beautiful. Well, um, I represent age 51, so take that. I'm 65. <laughs> Vitamin D was the thing that I was really fascinated about. And my question is, I was going to um, a naturopath for quite some time and one of the big things he put me on was vitamin D 10,000 milligrams, is that is that the right terminology, to help with my thyroid. And I'm just very curious because I also, through my learnings with this program, is that vitamin K and vitamin D need to work together. So I actually take, I actually take liquid vitamin K every day. Yeah, so I'm just wondering how that all impacts on my thyroid and, and will it eventually fix it? Yeah, because I've got Hashimoto's. Um, so I'm just, yeah, very curious on how I can repair my body in that way. Perfect. So let me just recap a little. So Hashimoto's is a process where your immune system said, Mr. Thyroid, you are foreign. You are not part of Deb and we're going to remove you. And the immune system says, all right, start eating away take away this section of the body. And it's a protein made by your thyroid. And you can see what tag it's got on there. Lab tests show us that. We can get really specific. But I would tell you to stay at 30,000 feet for a little longer and say, well, why? Why did her immune system do that? And the attack of that white blood cell system of your thyroid uh, was one of those glycated proteins that then started to mismatch, started to not be tra- transcribed correctly. And now you've got this replication of the, of the defective one that's living in your system. So the good news is your body knows which one was the original. And it will always defect, uh, default back to the one that is the original signal. But it can't find the original signal when the body's filled with all this inflammation, all of that glycation, all of that excess insulin, excess blood sugar. One of the ways that the thyroid made the protein in the first place was that your vitamin D went into the thyroid cell. And then the mitochondria in the thyroid cell said, it makes a quarter turn as a couple of, uh, of bonds in there. And then it slips into your nucleus inside the, the thyroid. And the nucleus has this list of proteins it's supposed to make. And when the, when the vitamin D is doing its job, out come the right proteins. But if you want to see where vitamin D goes first, 
it's all of those uh, cells that have the highest amount of mitochondria. It was the brain cells first, and then the eye cells, and then the heart cells. And those are the ones who also keto adapt the first, keto adapt first. Thyroid's on the list, but it's it's south. It's not one of the top ones that's going to do it in the first week or so of transitioning into a state of of ketosis. So when you're saying, well, how do I get the inflammation inside my thyroid less? Do I put like ice on it? Do I ice my thyroid? Okay, that's not going to do it. That's not going to change how the transcription is happening within the system. Uh, So the first thing, the first most important is to lower your insulin. Like, well, should I go to the doctor and get my insulin checked? I would say, don't waste your money. I've been to that chapter many times. Here's what I do. Insulin controls two molecules that you can prick your finger and check. It controls the blood glucose and it controls the rate at which you can make ketones. And as your insulin lowers and becomes more efficient, the glucose isn't as high and the ketones are higher. And that's where this Dr. Bob's ratio comes from. If you look at the research papers, they're called glucose ketone index, GKI. I don't care which one you use. But in my world, we simplify things. We take the big number, the glucose number. We divide by the little number. And we call it a Dr. Bob's ratio. And when we get Dr. Bob's ratios that are in the 40s or less, it is a signal that your insulin is improving. Your insulin is less. And like anybody who transitions on this from an autoimmune disorder like Hashimoto's or Crohn's disease or multiple sclerosis, when you first hit a change in your body, you're going to have great Dr. Bob's ratios. They look really good. And everybody else in your support group grows hairy eyebrows and growls at you because like, how are her ketones 4.2? Because she's new. (laughs) Her body doesn't know what to do with them yet. (laughs) So as you adapt, you will, your body will always heat reach for steady state. And that's where your insulin says, okay, now I'm at my new level. And the next step is what I write about in my keto continuum saying, now you need the next step. Now you need the next step. And if you are looking to repair that, you've got to keep that Dr. Bob's ratio of 40 or less because it is highly correlated to a low enough insulin that if you did inject vitamin D into your body, it could actually get to your thyroid. When people say, I'm taking thyroid, I'm taking thyroid. I'm like, yeah, but you're also eating carbs four times a day. Mm. So you're destroying my plan of getting thyroid filled with vitamin D. Now, in the other sense, vitamin K is another one of our fat-soluble vitamins. Vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin A, vitamin K. K, the fourth one, has a lot of things it does, including blood clotting. So there's a whole bunch of reasons a doctor shouldn't be talking about vitamin K outside of an exam room. But I will give you a few little things that there is one vitamin that I put my name on. I don't make anything that I don't take or somebody in my family doesn't take. Uh, And I have one vitamin that I make, and that is vitamin K2D3. And it is because it is it is so important that it is available in your system. And I'm pretty good. Uh, you can Google one of my favorite videos that is not very well viewed, but it's totally my favorite, Dr. Boz and fermented liver. Uh, so I live eat fermented liver with my son. Uh, and you say, well, why would you do a crazy thing like that? Uh, I was trying to figure out ways that you could possibly get K2 in your diet. It's through fermentation. And so there's this soy thing, but it tasted terrible. And I'm like, <laughs> not that fermented liver tasted that, but I'll let you watch the video. Anyway, the point is, is that I have hacked every way to, to the moon to figure out how to get K2 in my kids and my husband. Okay, we're making a capsule. <laughs> we are putting this in a pill because there is just no way I'm going to get them to eat this. And I get them to eat some pretty crazy things. So uh, as you'll see on that video, but the point I'm making is vitamin K and vitamin D are fat soluble. So just like 
the rest of your body, when it says store the energy as fat, it does not exclude your fat soluble vitamins. Uh, I was on a podcast the other day and we were talking about different, you know, forms of vitamin D and I think it was vitamin D. It was one of the fat, yeah, I think it was vitamin D. I'm like, well, what if, what if you check this level of vitamin D or this type of vitamin D or that? Type? And I'm like, you know what? Do this experiment. You can prick your finger and check vitamin D just like you can prick your finger and check an A1C. So I had the, the kits at home and we checked vitamin D before I started a fast and it was crappy. And then I went 48 hours into a fast and then I went 72 hours into the fast. Uh, and then I went a day after the fast. So I had four vitamin Ds in like five days or something. And the point was to show you that when you're fasting, uh, your fat cells empty. And if I have vitamin D stored in my fat cells, and I open up the fat cells to live without food, I mean, without consuming food, I'm going to empty fat cells. Guess what's in there? Vitamin D. And so nobody will do that test from a doctor's point of view, because it's a waste of money and insurance, not your record, but you can do it. You can just order the test and it's maybe a little expensive to do that many of them. But the point is the teachable moment, which says inside the fat cells are testosterone and cortisol and vitamin D and estrogen and your fat-based hormones that are locked inside because of insulin. And so when people say, what should I do about this autoimmune disorder? First and foremost, I need you in a rhythm of life that does what Willie did, which is flexibly turn off the glucose and turn on the ketones. And, uh, you know, it's something that I have spent an inappropriate amount of <laughs> hours making slides teaching, but I, I really think it's what I've been called to do to say, no, let me show you what is happening in these people. And when they finally hack it and say, oh, you mean I can't just fast one time for 72 hours and make it all better? I'm like, no, honey, this can go right back to what you're doing because your body has a message. It has a memory. And the good part about your body's memory is that it remembers which one of those hormones were your original, uh, which one of those proteins inside your body was your original. And it will turn off that antibody in most cases uh, when they get that inflammation out of their system. I was never able to say that before doing the ketogenic diet. I thought it was crazy. The first person I ever heard that from was Dr. Fung. And I was so relieved that another doctor had seen it. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Is it, yeah, I get your thyroid's reversing. Why, doc? I have no idea why your thyroid is getting better. It's not in my textbook. I don't know. And I can remember that first lecture from Dr. Fung where I heard him say that. And I'm like, oh, he just said that the emperor has no clothes. The emperor has no clothes, you guys. <laughs> Yeah. No good. Yeah. What a great answer. Deb, thank you so much for the question. Appreciate it. Thank you for being so committed to join from uh, Australia as well. It's a great question. I'm sure there's lots of autoimmune people out there that were looking for that, uh, that parallel. So that's a great question. Great answer. Perfect answer. Okay. We have Tamara here. Tamara, I'm going to bring you on and ask Dr. Boz the question. Hey, Tamara. Hi. It's good to see you, Ben and Dr. Boz. Um, I'm totally new to keto and intermittent fasting, all of this stuff. And of course, I'm super pumped up and I want to do it the fastest way humanly possible. <laughs> so I was wondering, would it be better to do like carnivore? Would it be better to do keto and fasting? What is going to be the way to get healthiest the fastest? Okay, so the first thing I would ask you is how new? Days new or weeks new? Days new. Okay, so welcome. When I look at teaching people, I think the best way to teach them is a story that's not them. So when you take in a book, do you like to listen to it or read it? Listen to it. 
Okay, so there is a great audiobook. I'm not being funny. This it really mm-hmm. does, is a great audiobook, but it is called Any Way You Can. Mm-hmm. And it is about 70% story of a patient that came to me and was in a hell of a predicament. And she asked me the question that sometimes I'm calm enough to answer honestly. She said, if it was you, what would you do? And the book uh, walks you through the 90% of what you need to learn for a ketogenic diet. And it is also the parallels where if you try to teach someone who is as wise as you, has been around the sun as many times as you, the best way to teach them isn't to send them a workbook, isn't to send them a, a checklist, it's to tell them a really good story where they can find the parallels of the story in them. Once you get done with that, then I'm sure Ben has a, a list for you to do as well. I, I have a workbook that I use for patients uh, when they come in to see me. But if they're new into keto, I tell them to go listen to a story that will inspire you. And by the end of chapter four, you're going to have some pretty good lessons on how to do this. Because I do a live show on Tuesday nights for just teaching and trying to figure out how to communicate with the world. I also do a free support group here in Tampa every Tuesday morning. And in November, this man knew that I was doing this free support group and he gets in an RV every year for the winter time and he drives to Tampa so he can come to the support group. Hmm. And he had started keto like three weeks before and he went ass over apricot into keto and he made every mistake possible. <laughs> so the other way that you could look at what, what could you do, you could just watch the videos of my lives since then. And you will see every mistake that he's made. I've, he's the gift that keeps on giving, <laughs> showing up, uh, but is uh, remarkable. We've got him straightened out. I think he's going to be able to get in his RV and head on his way in about a week or two and not fall off the wagon. You're in a predicament yeah. because the step of how, how you do this without uh, crashing the medical problems that are naturally going to be in a body after, after even just five years of holding on to an extra 20 pounds, let alone most of my patients are 30 years into holding on to more than 50 pounds. And that is an equation that is not for the faint of heart. There are some steps that you should be aware of. Now, you don't need a doctor most of the time, but you should know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you, tomorrow. Uh, everybody go get the book. A lot of them, people, uh, the challenge members have gotten your book. They say how great it is. I love the answer. Storytelling is so powerful. Hey, Keto Camper. There's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout. And that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation. And there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near infrared and red light. And every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bon Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out and let's get right back to this episode.
Okay, so there's a, a couple, a few questions here from Jay, who's a VIP student who posted on the thread. So I'm going to just go through them for you to respond to. So question one, Ben, you provided the perfect formula yesterday for determining your protein, which I told him uh, one gram per pound of your ideal body weight. And he says, question, do you and Dr. Boz believe I can get this amount of protein in one meal or even a four-hour eating window? I'll let you address that first. Okay, so here's some things that I, I would sort before answering the protein question. And maybe you said it, but I was reading some of the comments, and so I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry. Um, was if you're asking protein questions, they're usually a few weeks into keto. And I want to know what his, what his body weight is. I want to know what his age is. And I want to know what his blood pressure is. So just some, some metrics that give me a sense of what, is he insulin resistant? And if so, then I have a protein answer that's probably not as conventional as some of the other ones. Yeah. So if, so let's say, you know, I'm not saying Jay, you are insulin resistant, but let's say Jay okay. is. All right. Because that's the norm. Yeah. Well, that is the norm. What would be your response then? Right. Unless you're Willie, you probably are insulin resistant. Right. Uh, but for the most part, if you've been overweight, if you have blood pressure that seems to oscillate, that doesn't stay where it's supposed to be, that's a really good sign that you're holding on to too much fluid. That fluid is usually a process of glucose and insulin working together to keep water in circulation, which is where that blood pressure is elevated. Okay. So we've got an insulin resistant patient who's asking about protein. And what I uh, say is you're focused on the wrong thing. That when you look at the metabolism of that mitochondria, I'm trying to create a chemistry set. And the most powerful chemistry set is when I've got ketones being burned more hours of the day than, than glucose. Now, that's usually only found at the beginning of a ketogenic diet unless I'm working really hard with a seizure patient or a cancer patient to, to really restrict things. If you're looking at the average person, they go keto, they got ketones, they have to pee in ketones, okay, then they stop checking because it's boring or their strips go bad and also that they stabilize. So then the next place they focus is, well, everybody's talking about this protein thing. And I'm like, yeah, your insulin is way more important than your protein consumption. And so I point out one of the studies that looks at what was the insulin your body produced when you ate? And so they have this really great study, and I've, sent, I've done this several times on my on show, so you can Google it and find it on YouTube. But when they, they took these patients, they uh, were healthy patients. These are not insulin resistance patients. They're healthy. They've never been overweight. And they have them hooked up to uh, continuous monitors where they can check glucose and insulin on a minute-by-minute uh, -minute basis. And they come in fasting, and they're divided into three groups, and they give them exactly the same grams of powdered food, so particleized food. And the first group gets all fat, the second group gets all protein, the third group gets all carbohydrates. So Ben, which group do you think made the most insulin? Well, of course, the carbs. Right. They shot the glucose way up. Insulin followed it. It took a long time to get it back to normal. And these are healthy people. Okay. So then uh, what do you think happened with the protein part? Also glucose and insulin response, not as much as the carbs, but what were they eating? And like, was it like real, like animal protein? Like what was the source of the protein? You said powdered? Is that what you said? Yep. So to keep it. Oh, got uh, it. Powder. So then I saw probably a huge insulinogenic response from protein. Mm -hmm. Powder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what do you think happened with fat? Baseline. Yeah. They still produce insulin. They still Even with the fat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what kind of, it was like a powder, like what was it though? Powdered fat. Powdered fat because it was yeah. processed. It's still, is that why? Yeah. So then this has been looked at in other places. If you just eat butter and you watch your blood sugar 
and you say, oh, doc, it doesn't move at all. I'm like, put on a continuous glucose monitor, watch what happens. Hmm. When you, especially if you're insulin resistant. And what wow. happens is, right, so there is a message that starts when you begin to masticate as soon as you start to chew and then you swallow and it sends a signal and the signal remembers this is how this person's body runs. So it is really dependent on where you've been. And when people say, yep, I'm a keto and my, my ketones went down and so I'm, I'm trying to get the protein right, I'm like, quit focusing there. Uh, start focusing on how many times did you gobble food in a day? And so frequency of, of eating is what you're saying here. That should be an emphasis versus your protein. Absolutely. I look at different you know, steps on this keto continuum saying, well, I get a lot of people healthy when they just do two meals a day. They don't have to time restrict. They don't have to, they eat two meals a day. They use satiety as how they feel. And they, they do not gobble food at any other time, but these two times per day. And that is what adults should do in the 21st century. We are not uh, have a scarcity. We don't need to eat three times a day. Your children don't need to eat more than three times a day, period. And that process of how much insulin you make is what will sabotage the progress. Because even though you're eating car, you know, less than 20 total carbohydrates per day, and I've said this for five years, they still are producing an excessive amount of insulin, which will store things, which will, you know, stop that mitochondria from being able to use the ketone, to have the ketone in circulation and have access to it. So when I look at the, the protein discussion, I have three sons and my youngest son uh, came out redheaded, left-handed. And in the second grade, when he came home and said, mom, I'd like to wrestle. I got down to eye level and said, oh, sweetheart, you're confused. We don't <laughs> wrestle. <laughs> Your brothers are in debate. <laughs> okay, he's still wrestling. He's a junior in high school and I love, if I could push reset on Raisin Boys, I'd make them all wrestle. Wow. But, so when you are looking at the metabolic performance of somebody who's not insulin resistant, who works out four hours a day and has to weigh in, we all pray for 138 pounds by tomorrow at five o'clock. Uh, <laughs> it is a different model of response. There I can talk about protein response. There I can talk about other things. But even in his case, you should say, you want to see what happens to people like Willie, to people like my son? Um, oh, protein's not the issue. I mean, there is no reason you should have to be measuring protein when your body isn't insulin resistant. For the biggest impact on insulin resistance, it's get the hours of eating into two boluses and then keep them within eight hours of each other and Great. stay there. Great, great answer. We're going to talk more about that with Megan Ramos on Saturday. Oh, good. Yeah, I was on a podcast with her for the first time the other day. Like, oh, oh, it's awesome. I'm sure you both hit it off. She's That's awesome. Just like, like oh, you. You're good. She's saying the same thing I am. <laughs> exactly. A lot of uh, synchronicity there. All right. Next question from same person, Jay. If you are a fat burner uh, in ketosis, am I burning fat when doing high intensity exercise or is my body looking for glucose? Yeah, I tell people to do their high intensity workouts fasted. Yeah, you're looking at um, so this this is another really great teachable question that I get a lot of. So I'm going to take the airwaves to teach this because I I'm tired of answering it. <laughs> I mean, I like answering it. This is going to give me the space to say a few less need to ask that question. So when people work out and they say, but doc, afterwards, that sugar went up. They'll ask that or doc, don't I need to preload for the for yeah, the wrestling meet that all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> to have sugar. Mom, can I have sugar before wrestling meet? I'm like, 
not if you want to win. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) So when when you look at high intensity workout, first of all, an excellent place to put your time and energy, uh, highest return on investment for your time and your pain uh, is uh, a high intensity workout. Good job. I would do it fasted, especially when I work with people, I don't have them touch the gym until I can see that their body mass is in that normal range or just slightly out of like a 25 or 26 BMI, then I can get you working out. If you happen to go for a walk before that, great. But I do not add exercise until they've lost a bunch of this weight. And I do that because if I'm pushing your body and those mitochondria to do at a high peak performance, especially high impact uh, training, that demand from cells has to be in shape for it. And it comes from the exposure, how many months, how many replicas of cells, and this is cell turnover, all of your cells turn over, they replace each other. How many replicas did we make that were in the ketogenic state? And when they've been doing keto for six weeks and they say, but I want to exercise. I'm like, you can do that, but I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend that you stay the course and focus on how is it that I can have a more narrowed eating window, a morning fasting blood sugar ketone level that is in a ketogenic state when you wake up in the morning, a reversal of at least 80% of this insulin resistance. And that gives them the fuel. I mean, they're, they're making ketones. They are metabolically flexible. I send them to the gym. I am not worried about how well their body's going to be able to recruit ketones to deliver during what I think is worth their time, which is this this impact. You know, when I look at uh, folks that follow along with me, they get, you know, they get along the way, they and then they stabilize. Like, what do I do now, doc? Like, well, you got to add a stress. And Mm -hmm. so I don't think you should be crazy and eating for only 15 minutes a day. You can have an eating window, but somewhere that fits in your life. And I hope you have a life that has people in it that you want to eat with them. And so that you, you have an eating window that's, I don't know, four to hour to one, you know, four hours is not bad. Okay. Have a little at the beginning, have a little at the end, find a time you're, you're being with other humans during that time. It's a very social thing to not remove from your life. But I also push people to do, um, once they do that, they're like, well, now what do I do? I, I can do I, do I fast? I'm like, okay, well, you can add fasting once a week. Yeah. Uh, and so then they get in this habit that they're fasting 36 hours every week and, and that's enough for them. They're like, that sucks. I don't want to do that anymore. So then what else can I do? And by this time, usually I've got morning fasting numbers that maybe aren't perfect, but they're a lot better. Their insulin resistance is a lot lower. And that's where I say during that 36 hour fast, flex what you've been building, flex your system, go use your muscles for an intense 30 minutes and you will empty the storage of glucose from your from your muscle cells as you use them and they have a memory they're going to fill back up mm-hmm. don't worry about that it is how many times we can replace these muscle cells that each time the amount of stored glycogen is less you are not going to change that until the cell replaces itself it, it isn't just going to like oh two days of keto and I'm going to have less stored glycogen. No, it's got a memory. It's going to fill that glycogen back up. So practicing emptying it lowers that average blood sugar and uses this tool that you've been building. And that in and of itself is where I find uh, that people get in the, the, you know, they, the tortoise and the hare, they get in the slow lane and say, don't make all these changes. And then you can't hold on to them. You know, when, when people are six weeks into keto and then they want to start exercising, I'm like, why? 
What is your real goal there? Spend time meditating, spend time in a sauna. Don't, don't pound on your, your blood vessels uh, and your joints with the extra 80 pounds on them. We've already got a problem in those joints that we're trying to undo. I need the cells to replace themselves in a ketogenic state. This is gonna take time. Great answer. So what you're essentially talking about is adding specific stressors, letting your body adapt to the stressor so you get stronger versus the go big or go home mentality, or I'm going to add this stress one day, this stress the second day, and then your body's not adapting, right? And a lot of people need to progress to your point, especially for those who are insulin resistant. Mm -hmm. So exercise is a stressor. It could be amazing for you, but if your body doesn't adapt to that stressor, now the benefits turn into drawbacks. And now actually it becomes more inflammatory to you. So that's why it's so unique. It's so important to work with somebody to kind of guide you on that. And this is called hormesis, raising this hormetic ceiling, right? Which is perfect because tomorrow we have Dr. Pompa and Dr. Mindy, and we're going to deep dive into hormesis. So you are doing this perfect for us <laughs> because our future sessions are lining up. I'll actually add one more thing that I think is really helpful. I, I did this last night on my live, uh, and I've been saving this lecture for a while to say when people lose weight, um, when people gain weight, they actually think they gain it pretty gradually over the last 30 years. But when you look at the nurse's health study or you look at people who are actually getting measured about when their weight was gained, it is usually at a time of stress and then they stabilize. Mm -hmm. And then something stressful happens and then they stabilize. And then they have something stressful happen and then they stabilize. They forget that. They don't think that way. Uh, it's a five pounds here, it's five pounds there, it's four pounds there. Those are where the hundred pounds came from. And when you're looking at a marketing team for losing weight, the billboard that says we lose two pounds a week, we won't leave your side until it's gone. What they really have is a partner for life. Because if you're losing two pounds a week, what's, what's absent from those, those models, and we've looked at this in animal models, we've looked at this in humans, when they lose two pounds a week, you're not giving the body that time where the hormones adapt where that cholecystokine is, is higher, where that satiety hormone really does turn your brain into a, I really don't want to eat. And, and there is this emotional adaption that says, I used to be this person that exercised, so I'm going to go right back to that person that exercised. And all you did there was you went back to a failed formula because you didn't have the hormones, the stamina for rising ketones that quickly to deliver. And you did not have a lot of the repair mechanisms like the vitamin D, the other things we've been talking about to say, you got to have some tools on board in order to be an athlete that uses high intensity training. And you can all be that as long as insulin isn't your enemy. Yeah. Uh, or at least not the biggest enemy. So the best weight loss is a stress of time, a, a very intense time where you lose weight and then you stabilize. Yeah. And then you lose some weight and then you stabilize. And along with that uh, adaption of those hormones and fi finding that new baseline for cortisol, that new baseline for uh, ghrelin is also a new identity that you look in the mirror and say, oh, this person that used to be me, I fight that every day. And this was such a big deal when I was uh, in the throes of my addiction clinic that we would ask them to kill their identity. Every day, you're going to kill your identity. You've got to find a way to kill that identity. <laughs> and that is where, you know, get away from the people you've been hanging out with. Yep. Get away from the, the stressors. It is not an accident that most addiction success stories start with an exit from their environment yes. because they got to find out, they got to they kill that old identity.
And it is such a parallel journey for people in a carbohydrate or a metabolic mess trying to say, well, how do I get that thing where somebody looks and says, you look healthy? How do I get those mitochondria? There is some sabotaging that will go on deep inside your body and your mind that it takes time. Racing to a 72-hour fast every week is the opposite of a good idea. That's going to push you to a place where your hormones aren't ready for it. Your emotions aren't ready for it. Your family and friends are not ready for that. You have so many places where you're going to fail uh, that slow it down, find one step, stay there. And then the next step, and the next step. That's it. Adapt to the stressors. The small little tweaks lead to giant peaks. Amen. Michelle says, hi, Dr. Boz and Ben. Started listening to your podcast. Uh, Ben, I started listening to your podcast with Dr. Sandra Kaufman who was your guest, I immediately was inspired because I realized my cells were the problem, kidney cancer survival for two years. Oh, wow. I started Dr. Kaufman's protocol for inflammation. The rest of my lifestyle has not been dialed in as I know it needs to be, in which I, I'm loving the education you're providing us. Question, would you advise that I continue on the inflammation protocol while doing this challenge? I guess that's more of a question for me. Hmm. Uh, I don't I know what the inflammation protocol is. Yeah, so Dr. Kaufman wrote a book called The Kaufman Protocol where she incorporates a lot of like turmeric and resveratrol, these other mitochondrion couplers, right? So what are your thoughts on those ingredients and herbs that help the mitochondrion couple? Yeah, I get a lot of those questions too. Uh, so the, the first thing I point out is where are your mitochondria found? They're inside a cell, right? Yeah. So in order to get this molecule to the place we're trying to get it to, you have to swallow it. It has to get past the acid acid uh, setting of your stomach. It has to get absorbed in the first section of your gut. It has to get past the lymphatic system if it's fat. It has to get past the hepatic or liver section if it fits into the portal vein. Uh, and then in circulation, it has to get to that tissue, to get to that mitochondria, which isn't easy. It's got to get across the cell border. And then that uh, mitochondria has to be able to receive it and if it's one of those broken mitochondria with a whole bunch of inflammatory reactive oxygen species coming out of it, it's swimming upstream. So we have lots of evidence that these do make a difference. But I think the greatest difference is delivering a ketone to the inside of a cell, oh, to the organ organelle that we're trying to get to, which is mm -hmm. the mitochondria. So when you practice combing mitochondria or ketones through mitochondria, and you watch to see how that cellular, that organelle health really improves over six weeks, six months. It's incredible. I don't care what supplement you're looking at. It's a minor tweak compared to area under the curve where the mitochondria was burning ketones. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people that I've had asking for, you know, some of the, you know, the metformins and the, uh, is resveratrol the one that is... Um, yeah, so berberine is another one, but that's a lot like uh, metformin. Yep. Um, resveratrol is, isn't that the... Uh, NMN, resveratrol, turmeric. Um, I'm just, uh, it's so it's right on the tip of my tongue. It'll come to me when, I'm t when okay. you're talking again. That, so I'm looking at what the mechanism is that it impacts. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is deep within the, the cell of, or the, the organelle of the mitochondria. And you say, okay, great. That's so amazing that we found this, that we discovered this, and we can make an impact of that. Melatonin? Melatonin. Glutathione? Uh, were you thinking? Okay. No, it, it, so it affects histone deacetylase. It's coming. Okay. And it 
it's the same thing that a ketogenic stage uh, uh, reverses. Uh, you know who talks a ton about this is Peter Atia. Okay. Anyway, I'll, it'll come to me when I just stop trying so hard. The point is, it's a very geeky thing in the depths of the bowels of a biochemistry textbook that only a small number of people really understand. And I have evidence to say that most of us that think we understand it, as soon as you throw one more rule in there, you're like, well, that breaks about six of the other ones. So mm. it's not well mapped out, if you ask me. The point I'm making is, even with that, it's cool. It's a, a scientist can explain that. How do I get the average person to have impact on that cellular improvement that we know is required to reverse these health problems. And to me, the supplements are few and far between that make anything close to the impact of reduce the insulin. Uh, it's not a pill, people. It is shut your mouth. There's only certain hours in the day you should be eating. It should not be after sunset. If you've got a tummy or if you've got insulin resistance and you've been around the sun more than 30 times, period. You, so essentially, it's like what you've been saying the whole time today and what you've always been saying, focus on the fundamentals, right? Let's get right. insulin down, focus on sleep, focus on stress. And then there's a time and place where you could add in these biohacks, these supplements, these, these things that can help, but you got to absolutely right. fix the metabolism first, right? So that's, mm -hmm. that's what you're saying. Uh, and I totally agree with you. It's like we get excited and I and myself personally, like all these shiny object syndrome, but it's like, okay, fundamentals first strong foundation, like a house, you want to build a house, strong foundation, and then you can build the beautiful kitchen and the beautiful master bedroom, but you have to have the foundation first. Amen. Yeah. And I, I really think that it's, you know, like the gal who just uh, said, I'm a few days into this. Uh, what I always worry is they, they get so distracted by, oh, I have to buy all this stuff. I'm like, no, you got to buy less stuff. You got to eat less stuff. And it's so true. He, he, Dr. Pompa says that all the time. It's like so many people think I need to add this and add that, but it's really, you need to subtract is mm -hmm. it, you're saying that too. I agree with you. This has been so good. I know everybody is just loving the conversation. So Dr. Boss, share with the challenge members uh, the best place to find you, your website, all the cool things you're up to. Great. Well, bozmd.com is our website, and that's where you can find several of the articles I've written, several of the just cliff notes. But you can also find the links to our Tuesday Night Live, which is on YouTube. I do that every Tuesday. And that's where you really find the updates on what I'm doing. I say things on there I'm not supposed to, according to my team. Like, don't tell them that yet. We're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> but I also try to put out a couple of good teachable. I'm really trying to focus my efforts inside YouTube because, again, fundamentals and let's pick one place to be good at. So I've picked YouTube and really Smart. I'm trying to hold on to that algorithm of uh, short, <laughs> very intense, highly animated uh, <laughs> teachable moments. So I really uh, appreciate all of those that follow, that watch the commercials, because that's the only way you get paid. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's not my favorite business model. So uh, there are a lot of things that I have. A, I'm a practicing internist. So I, I'm here in Florida. I, I am new to Florida and trying to find how do I end my career? How do I do the next 20 years of my career in a way that isn't the same as what I did the first 25 years? So beautiful. Pray for that. Uh, wish me luck on that. And you'll find the answer out probably as I do uh, on Tuesday nights. <laughs> I love that. So if you're not subscribed to Dr. Boz's YouTube channel, just type in her name, Dr. Boz on YouTube, subscribe to it. I'm subscribed to your channel. I, for many, many years, I've been following your work. And it's just really, of course, it's educational and it's, it's scientific, but also like the storytelling and it's really relatable. So I think 
uh, it's a combination of so many things that is a result of you growing so fast and well-deserved. So thank you, Dr. Boz, for being so educational and so brilliant. We really appreciate you going over time today and just educating us all. I've, I personally learned so much and I just wanted to say, Thank you. I've got a lot of vitamin G for you, Dr. <laughs> well, I, I actually want to make sure to praise you right back because I, I wasn't kidding when I think the world needs more Ben Azadis, that <laughs> this is not a universe that requires a medical degree to teach this. It requires people who've had boundaries or success and then failures and then say, well, I could probably teach a few people. I could probably be the example to a few people. And I hope that's their families. But in Ben's case, it really is just his example of saying, yep, I had some setbacks it sucked. Here's how I'm doing it better. And look at the Pied Piper you've become that people say, I want to be like Ben. I want to see that. And I really, I'm headed to this medical conference and I, I'm a little nervous at presenting this poster of how I'm trying to do it differently because it's, it's hard being the first one out there saying, yes, I ask patients to do that. <laughs> and, and really just having people with courage saying, no, when you see what works and you teach it to the people that are looking and hungry, really hungry for an example that says, how do I not keep going to the doctor for more prescriptions or surgical interventions? How do I really live this healthy life? You would put Ben's face in that, that Sanford algorithm and say, he's youthful, he's full of energy, and he is a motivated, committed leader. So thank you for what you do. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Boz. You're going to do great at the conference. I know it. You're going to crush it. They're I told you this when I texted you earlier. They're so blessed to have you there. So do an amazing job. I know you will. I can't wait to share another stage with you and we'll do some more collaboration. So thank you. You could feel free to sign off and I'm going to continue the stream here. But we oh, all... Good. good luck with the rest of your, your launch. You're doing amazing stuff. Thank you, Dr. Boz. Talk to you soon. How amazing was that, huh? Oh my gosh, she's so, so much fun. So delightful. There are some more questions I'm going to answer from the VIP thread. Jay, your question was, what's Dr. Boz's guidance on eating fruit when you achieve your target weight? I would say more important than your target weight would be your target metabolic health. So my answer would be, if you are not insulin resistant, you have a healthy metabolism, you have ketones flowing, you have optimal fasting glucose, then there is a beautiful time and place to incorporate the fruit. We teach this keto flexing approach with fruit and healthy carbs when the person is ready inside of the academy. As she mentioned with uh, Willie from Honduras, that is the ultimate goal. That, that is the goal I am set out to teach every as many people as possible, a billion people, how to achieve that metabolic flexibility. Because so many people are burning their sugar burners. And when you're stuck burning glucose, she just gave you a brilliant presentation slide of what that's doing to your entire body. We don't want to be stuck as sugar burners. But then we talk about, all right, what's the other pathway? What's the other energy system? Ketones. And ketones are incredible. They are anti-inflammatory. They help your cells and your mitochondria produce more ATP. You feel damn good. But then it's like, do you always stay in ketosis? The answer is no. The goal is metabolic switching, keto flexing. So your question is, if somebody's at a target healthy weight, I would say if somebody's at a target healthy metabolism, fruit could be terrific strategically, and we teach that in the academy. Next question is from Jay as well. Jay says, Dr. Boz, recommend taking magnesium at night to enable sleeping. Are there any supplements she recommends? I can't answer that because she's gone. But I would say she would probably say yes to magnesium because we are so deficient in it. Stress depletes magnesium. Our soils are depleted of magnesium. We don't make magnesium, so it's essential for us to get it in 
a supplement form. So I would recommend I take 400 milligrams of magnesium each night. It'll not just help with sleep, it'll just help your cells function better. There's about 400 plus different enzymatic properties that take place because of magnesium. So it's one of those very important supplements that we take. In the academy, by the way, the Keto Camp Academy, we talk about supplemental rotation and why we don't just rely on the same supplement. There's strategic times to use it. Magnesium is kind of the one, the, the outlier that we do take frequently. We just change the different types of magnesium. So maybe we go through a bottle of magnesium threonate, and then we rotate to magnesium citrate, and then magnesium malate, or maybe we take a, something with a blend or something with a nanoparticle. So answer is magnesium is important. I would recommend it. And then the last question here, two more questions here. Bonnie, I cannot ask Dr. Boz this, but your question was about encapsulated fish oils. Does she also think they're not good? I would say this. Go on YouTube and type in KetoCamp fish oil, and I have a tremendous amount of videos and research and science that will back up my claims that fish oil is not good for you. I know it's not popular. I know a lot of people in our space love fish oil. They're brilliant people, but I'm here to tell you the science shows that fish oil does more harm than good and your body can make its own fish oil if you just give it the building blocks. I'm all for giving the body the building blocks versus supplemental fish oil. So um, I recommend that. CGMB, good for a beginner. I don't think you need to focus on a CGM right now tomorrow. I would just focus on like a glucose and ketone meter and then eventually we could bring on a CGM. In the academy, we have some great coaches, Becky, Alina, and John and myself who teach you how to look at those glucose and ketone numbers more accurately, look at trends. And then we also have a lot of students that have CGMs and we could help you get that too. We talked about measuring vitamin D. How, how is this done? Deb, there's a few ways to measure vitamin D. You could go to your doctor and request blood withdrawal. That's a way to get vitamin D. And then there are some companies out there that have finger prick vitamin D. Uh, get so well.com get so well.com keto camp is the coupon code for 10% off get so well.com check them out uh keto camp at checkout i think they have different finger pricks i hope you enjoyed that wonderful conversation with dr boss if you want to learn more about her maybe get some of her a1c kits uh, go to bozmd.com. That is her website. She also has a fantastic YouTube channel, which is Dr. Boz. Her, her Instagram is Dr. Boz underscore Annette Bosworth MD. We'll put all of that in the podcast notes, including her book, Keto Continuum. And any way you can, we'll put links for that down below. I, I encourage you to go watch the video version of today's interview so you can see her slides. And it's just a different experience on our YouTube channel which is youtube.com slash ketocamp. Go check that out. And please share this episode with a friend, somebody you know who could get a lot of value from a conversation like this. If you're not signed up for our upcoming seven-day keto challenge, which is free, Dr. Boz is a featured speaker along with Dr. Ken Berry and Dr. Jason Fung. Head over to ketocampchallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes down below. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review. Have an incredible rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. 
This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.